I'm going to ask you to, um, before we jump into the show, uh, complete something for me, something that I learned. Ready? Okay. Yeah. One day you're here, baby. And then you're gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Roseanne Thorns. Hey, love bugs, and welcome to another episode of the Roseanne Thorns podcast. I am P. Ryan, and let me tell you something. My do-rag is on. My incense is lit, okay? I don't have alcohol, but you know, I got a little glass of water here and I'm feeling good. And I am excited to be here with a Pensacola, Florida native who's a mixture of Baptist hymns, UGK beats, and your college biology textbook. Everybody, Roseanne Thorns, please welcome Dr. Rashida Likely. Hey! <laughs> I feel like an applause goes there. That's so cute. Yeah, I was thinking I'm so of putting one in there. there. <laughs> so glad to be here. It's so cute. Yeah, I'm excited. I like cute things. <laughs> yeah, this is a little cute situation. Okay, <laughs> and you look cute. She is adorned with a lovely headband. Okay, she had on a cute necklace that she took off for mic purposes, but it's okay, you know, (laughs) giving us a red lip. Okay, we're here. Trying to do the things, trying to do the things. Yes, you're doing the things. (laughs) Bless you. Thank you. (laughs) Now, before we go a little deeper into just like what you do and your life and relationships that we're going to delve into, tell the people about yourself. Okay, So I am a black woman scientist and educator. Um, I'm from the good old South, um, Pensacola, Florida, which is South Alabama. Um, They're going to get me for saying that, but it's true. Uh, I was born and raised. I mean, my house is 20 minutes from the Alabama state line Mm. and it's a thing. So, I mean, born and raised in the black Baptist church. Um, I practice an expansive theology. So it's changed over time, but I mean, I include all of the crystals and the meditation and the prayer and the community, um, my cloud of witnesses, my ancestors. I definitely incorporate them into my spiritual practices. Um, I am a Christ follower, and that can mean different things to different people, mm. but I follow the practices and movements of Jesus, not of whoever's church that might not be. Um, I believe all of us are made in the image of God and deserve good love and big care. So I practice that daily through womanism. Um, I, I found a word. I, I found a language that matched my moves. And I was very excited to learn more about womanism and who crafted it and how to apply it every day as a, a black woman, as again, a scientist and a teacher. So. We just started the show, but I'm about to tell you about yourself because here's what you just did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you introduced a whole bunch of things that now have made me take this whole outline and throw it out the window. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Expansive theology. theology. Yeah. I don't know if that's Give a thing, mm-hmm. but that's what I call it because, um, again, being a Christ follower, I believe that Jesus showed us the way. And if we move like Jesus, things could be so much better. But it feels as though, again, being born and raised in the church, it feels like we're moving like church. And that's not always the best move to make. So um, I've done good homework on Jesus. And I like how Jesus was living, moving, breathing, enjoying time amongst the marginalized, the oppressed, the others, those who other folks wouldn't deal with. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's where the goodness is, because if again, this goes into the womanism. If we can address the oppression and the marginalization, the othering of those in the margins, we can all get free. Mm. So I think if we go like to those margins and to the outside where Jesus was, I, I can learn a lot. I have been growing there. Um, so yeah, that's my expansive theology. And also again, incorporate um, African traditional religions and practices. So such as, yeah. such as um, using crystals, I'm holding my rose quartz. Um, it's my favorite crystal of all the crystals. <laughs> Just, mm. I enjoy the way that it speaks to me, the way that it heats up randomly when mm. I, I need it most. Um, and I got my Florida water over here. I got my um, altar, ancestral altar, my um, money rice. I have a road opener candle, like gifts from my friends who have also been expanding their practices. And these are the women I lean on. These are the women that love me well. And I'm able to pour from a full cup because they continue to pour into me. I love that. I lo- are you familiar with the Orishas? Yes. I I don't know which one's mine. I feel like I know which one's mine, but I don't know yet. Oh, okay. Would you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, me, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So the only the way that I felt most drawn to that Orisha is going to the African American um, Museum of History. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't start at slavery. I love one, it doesn't start at slavery. But going into there, I had this overwhelming, like, bursting feeling. But it was started, mm-hmm. like, in the water, and they were talking about Africa and the waters around Africa. And then it's like, yeah, and it felt very connected and familiar, but also, like, how you know? Who told you? Why is this? Yeah. Um, and I've always, I'm a, I'm a cancer. So the water's my place. Mm-hmm. Um, but also this like bearing and movement. Yeah. That feels very Yemiya-ish. <laughs> I feel like each of us does a, a service to kind of like investigate or have curiosity around like which Arisha's draw us. Yeah. Um, and I think it, not just like for a spiritual perspective, but I think it really just gives us the, I don't have a word for it, but like the oomph we need to survive in this type of climate. Because mm-hmm. it's like, I know where I need to go to be met well. Yeah. I know where I need to go to be fed. I know where I need to go to be healed. And for me, over the years, it's been the beach. Go mm-hmm. so put my water, I mean, my feet in the water, pray, feel the things, and just sit there. Like, I, I love that. I'm most renewed at the beach. Yeah. Mm. I love how we fell into this. Then I'm going to have to double <laughs> back again because you okay. talked about moving the way that Jesus moved, right? Yes. And you're right. I feel like a lot of us have conditioned ourselves. You come from a Baptist background. I come from a Seventh-day Adventist background, right? So you are, I don't know if you know, but if you know, you know. I have some friends who are Seventh-day Adventists, but I don't know all of the doctrine and um, religious moves there, no. So it's a very conservative um denomination i would say beautiful denomination too Mm -hmm. but i do feel like a lot of people get caught up in tradition and you're right instead of moving like jesus um kind of move like church folk and i would even take that step i would take that a step further and say move like scribes and pharisees listen them the church folks they they made it once they can turn their nose up at somebody and i'm like Mm -hmm. is not that who Jesus was against, mm-hmm. literally. So, so I don't I'm feel curious. like that's, that's somewhere you get to be promoted. 
Right. But I think there's also kind of like a, I'm always curious about the reason why, right? And the motivation, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to ask you, why do you think people work so hard to become a scribe or a Pharisee or to kind of fit that mold? It feels good to check the things off the list because I used to do it. Being legalistic, um, (laughs) being very, these are the rules. And look, I followed all of these rules. I should make it a step further. I should be rewarded for my abstinence. I should be um, given, yeah, like given some type of token or brownie for like praying for you when all I did was share your business in the Bible group. Like I wasn't praying for you. It was the message. Mm. So, and it, it is, again, I'm speaking from a place of stuff that I've experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, I have friends that told me I was a robot when in the moment I was like, but I was with you when you cried. I didn't cry with them though. I was with you when wow. um, you needed to be picked up at 2 a.m. from a friend's house and you had a traumatic experience. And all I said was, you know, well, sex isn't in we shouldn't be like it was so hard yes I was there but I wasn't there well Mm. um and I'm grateful that people have grown with me and was able to see me be better um because I look at some of the things especially Facebook Facebook's so messy but bringing things back like it makes you cringe Mm -hmm. eight years ago you you said and I'm Mm -hmm. like oh oh no (laughs) like I'm not saying that now be quiet yeah yeah. why are you so loud (laughs) and it's just like so much regulation and rule adding on to this like oppression is mm. white supremacy. It's just the reflection of whiteness that we make all these rules that Jesus never said. What did that come from? Why? Mm-hmm. Who? What? Mm-hmm. So I got, I get how being a rule follower by these rules that we've made can feel like a reward. Yeah. But if you have no community if you're not moving with any kind of love, if you have no works to show for said face, what's the point? Yeah, it's like, mm. it's tiring being so close to all of the rules and alone. Sorry. Well, that's the show. <laughs> that's the show. All right, good evening. Good night. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> well, let's jump back into the, the structure. I love that. Thank you so much for taking time to share that. So how we know each other, right? You and I kind of met randomly. Very randomly. (laughs) I was on like a solo adventure last year, um, checking out this new artist, or not new, but like this local artist, Fishing Frederick, who in my mind is so fine. Yes. Very fine. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Vocally, physically, spiritually, just all of the things. Yes. You were there. um, And did we meet through our mutual friend too? A mutual friend had showed up. Uh, Vichy. And then someone else came. Robert. And, yes. I didn't know Robert though. That was my first uh, meeting, Robert. Okay. So Vichy was our connection. Okay. Yes. And then we started talking about dissertation and being black in uh, academia and just yes. like the trials and tribulations. And it was a very uh, quick conversation, but there was kind of just a connection there. And I'm so grateful to have met you. Um, but one thing, right? After I did my research, I wanted to take off my Maddie Moss Clark shoe and throw it at you. I, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I really did. I really did. Because when we talked, you really did not pat your back the way you should have. It's a thing. 
I know. <laughs> it's okay. okay. I'm in therapy. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> See, therapy works, y'all, or it it's useful, right? Let me just list off some of your accomplishments. So first of all, congratulations. You recently defended your dissertation um, and received your doctorate in science education from Drexel University. Yes. Mm-hmm. That happened two weeks ago. Okay. <laughs> About two weeks ago. Weeks ago. <laughs> you started off as a lab scientist in Florida, right? Yes. And then transitioned into education. That's a move, right? Career change. Pat on the back for that. You created a curriculum for an after-school program for Black girls aged 10 to 13 in Philadelphia that highlights uh, science through DIY projects, that's do-it-yourself projects, and that affirms Black girls by using Black hair as a yes. focus for science experiments. Yes, that's, that's a thing. Fuego, <laughs> right? And you have your own business making body scrubs and butters. And so let's just touch on a little bit of everything. Okay, Um, because it's a lot and you do a lot and we want to honor you and affirm you. So first and foremost, tell us a little bit about this curriculum. So now I'm blushing. My whole face is red. Thank you. Um, Blush away. (laughs) (laughs) So all of this like career switch um, happened because of a conversation in a middle school after school program. Um, I was working in in Florida and a group of the girls were talking about trying out for their softball team at school. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right, so if all of y'all are going to try out, here's the plan. You can do it, support each other, go team. I'm thinking I'm like being a good mentor, sending them on their way, you know, try something different, be brave. And one of them said, Miss Rashida, do you talk to your other kids like this? I'm like, what other kids? What are you talking about? They're like, cause you're a school teacher. Like, I'm not a school teacher. I'm a scientist. I work around the corner in the lab and I test viruses. I worked in, (laughs) it was Zika. Zika virus had had popped off at the time. Come on, Zika. And I was testing for Zika virus. Mm -hmm. It was an insane time. And so I was just like, I'm a scientist. What you talking about? And they said, you can't be a scientist because scientists are old white men. And they fell out laughing and thought it was a joke. They were like, not you. And it, it was like a, a break screech moment because mm. I'm like, why would you say that? And then I also had to think about my own experience in STEM as having only seen old white men as mm. scientists in the pictures and the books in any museum I went to. Um, all of my teachers, my advisor out of my master's program was an old white man. It wow. fit the script. I understood what they were saying, but in it, I was in the process of applying to biochemistry PhD programs. And so I was like, wait a minute, hold on. This is my opportunity now to make a tangible difference. And so I skipped out of all of that and went into an education program. And I was a fish out of water, completely lost. And I met my, I call her my fairy godmother. My advisor is a black man um, in engineering education. His background is in architecture. And having moved to Philly from the South, I had a very rough first winter. Mm. My skin cracks, my lips cracked, my hair was brittle. One of my friends owns his own um, hair uh, skincare company and hair care company. And I called and I'm a poor college student. I don't know how I'm going to afford all of your products. Give me some tips to figure this out on my own. 
Yeah. And so I started making my own lotion and scrub that winter. I gifted um, cocoa butter, a lotion that I made to my advisor. And I told him that I felt very at home creating this product because making products at home is a science practice. Mm. Once I said that to him, that was in December. We went to a conference in April. He introduced me to a couple other people in um, science education. And he said, tell them about your research interests. So I started talking about teacher education and how to create discourse in a science classroom. He was like, no, no, no. The hair care stuff, the lotion. Tell them about that. Mm-hmm. And I had to verbalize how DIY products were, in, how making DIY products were engaging in a science practice. So it pretty much was, he didn't let me let it go. He made me talk about it with other researchers in the field. And I had to begin to conceptualize this idea of what it would look like to have a curriculum that was representative, that was disruptive, Mm. that was true to form. And you got something that was useful, like this whole DIY and making it yourself. Um, You got to get a product out of your science class and take it home. So I was like, all right, let me now use some other um, experiences from different projects that I had been on at that time. I, they made a curriculum. I helped write that curriculum. What if I wrote my own? Mm. So that's what I did. And I, I still have been making lotions and scrubs and all the things and tried to had to now make it into worksheets, make it into um, lessons. I have a whole 70 page book now. <laughs> so with activities and Come worksheets on, and yes. coloring pages, um, word searches, because I really wanted to have a different experience than the one I had in science and the one I know black girls deserve. So I just made it happen. I hadn't seen it before and got a whole degree with it. And not only a different experience than the one that you had, but the one that you've witnessed other people have, right? Because hearing this theme about like representation, these girls Mm -hmm. telling you like, "Uh uh-uh, you're not a, you're not a, uh, a science person. Like that's an old white man. And so similarly, similarly, excuse me, words. When we get into certain fields, the image is that old white man, right? The image yeah. is that old white woman. I'm even thinking about psychology. So I mm-hmm. love how that triggered you kind of to acquire this degree. I also love this theme of the black fairy godparent. Yes, in my fairy godmother. Even I mean, I told him this to his face, and he's a Kappa, Ooh, like yeah. very cool from mm-hmm. Baltimore. And I honestly didn't know how he would respond to being called a fairy godmother. Mm-hmm. But um, it's true. That's who he is. A blessing. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> After so I had a terrible experience, but we gonna not. <laughs> she knows she is. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna not get into your business that part, but. <laughs> But it's such a blessing to have people who have gone before us in these fields, right? Who can serve as mentors because it's a lot of shit that we have to go through to even to get in the doctoral program, to get through the doctoral program, to finish the doctoral program. Yes. Shout out to the fairy godmothers. Because that finish, that finish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I understand why people are ABD. That's all but um, defended. Dissertation, dissertation, yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing. Uh, but like because it, it's rough that last push oof, it's mm-hmm. hard so hard yeah. yeah and a lot of us don't have support so shout out to them fairy godmothers and god bless them now when we kind of go into your curriculum and the way that you 
teach or have taught the girls, right? And, and continue to teach? Yes, I'll be teaching science teachers how mm. to teach science. But that'll be my career. That's exciting. I'm a teacher educator. That yeah. is perfect. You talk about how you engage students and how you really are intentional about the practice of not saying no, especially to Black students, to these Black Mm -hmm. girls, and that you use yes as kind of like a tool for educational engagement. And I thought that was mad powerful because so many of us, regardless of the level that you reach in education, have heard no. And have heard no multiple times. Mm -hmm. And have heard no in academia and outside, and I've heard no from family, from friends, just heard no, okay? Regular no, no no is expected, yeah. Mm -hmm. How have the words no and yes kind of shaped the way you approach and navigate the world, especially as an academic with like a doctoral degree? Um, I'll go toward the academic with the doctoral degree first and kind of go backwards. So Mm -hmm. in creating a curriculum with the intention of centering black girls, I had to find a way to desettle and disrupt the norms of cisgender, heterosexual, middle-class, Christian, uh, white men. That's as the norm. And so with those things being part of this colonized science is whatever white men have decided was the yes. Mm. I had to, I took every opportunity that I could to flip that, what would be a no into a yes. So there were times when one of the girls asked, could we listen to Summer Walker? Yes. Can Mm. we move our chairs? Yes. Can we um, get more coloring pages? Yes. Because there are other times in your science classroom where all you got was no. Mm. And I'm thinking, too, as a child, I had my own middle school self in that room where I just wish somebody would have said, yes, like, can, can I play a little longer on this or can I make this a little more personable for me? Yes. Mm. But in all of my experiences, it was no, you cannot have your loud cackle. I laugh so loudly and disruptively mm-hmm. and it's it frowned on and shunned. No, you may not do that. No, you may not wear this hair wrap into this lab because Mm -hmm. they're going to find a way to make it a safety issue. No, you may not play rap music while we have to listen to other people's Pandora stations. Why can't I play my Rick Ross? No, Um, you may not talk to your partner and do this experiment at the same time. That was a big one for me. Of course not. You're quiet. (laughs) You need to work alone. You don't have community in this space. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't find knowledge in one another. You ask the teacher. So all of those ways that I have been told no, I created a space where yes could move freely. Um, And I gave them, I love, I love that if you want to, you can do it. So it was always your choice. It was, you don't have to wear this lab coat. You can put it on. You don't have to wear the glasses only if you want to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was a space where, again, as a 10 year old, I was told yes by my uncle. My uncle was um, a electrical engineer, but he was on disability and I didn't know that. I just thought he was around a lot. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> he would help me. Um, he would order train sets and yeah. we would put train sets together. Um, he would, he taught me my um, 13 timetable. Nobody uses 13. Surely don't. Okay. But I was <laughs> bored with going like to 10. I had gotten those and I had gotten 12. He was like, well, let's do 13. And it was, 
something else. So he just didn't tell me, no, like this is acceptable. Like do something else, do something else that's challenging. Um, It was just play. He -hmm. said yes to play where everybody else was like structure, structure, structure. No, no, no. My dad's a pastor. So women are quiet. Mm -hmm. Women are seen, not heard. Women um, are underneath a man. So again, no, that's not what you do. No, you don't lead. No, you don't take charge. No, just a bunch of no's. But when it came to my uncle, what do you want to do? What are your suggestions? How do you want to change this? And so I got to play and I got to say yes. And so I wanted to recreate that in a space where I could. So um, that's how i have kind of pushing on the no a lot and just learning to say yes and see see what happens. Let me tell you, you are really speaking a word when it comes to mentorship and being a model. Okay. In in (laughs) relation to just like disrupting structures. Your uncle was kind of like a model for how to disrupt structures in your life. And now you are disrupting the kind of structures that white men, white supremacy has put in place for black students. I mean, I didn't, no, it was him. Mm-hmm. So my uncle passed in my 10th grade year of high school. Um, very traumatic experience. Like I, as a 10th grader, did CPR. So that was a whole thing. Wow. And uh, this is the uncle that played with me that told me to just dream a little bigger and don't say no and push a little bit further past something. And as I grew up and got into the science field and I was just unhappy, just totally unhappy. I knew mm-hmm. that I didn't want to go to med school anymore. Um, Have we not I, been there? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Heard you. Just like, oh, I done sold my parents. I done sold my family this dream of going to med school since at least seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Like, And I mean, I was good. I knew how to memorize well. I should be able to get to med school. But I just wasn't happy there. Um, but then after I had that conversation with the girls that told me I wasn't a scientist and then moving into an education program and my advisor telling me now to create what you haven't seen, I had like fussed pretty much at my uncle who was an ancestor now. What, where are you? I haven't heard from you. I haven't mm. seen you. Why didn't you show up? And it was the day before the anniversary of his death. I was up here in Philly, just literally upset with him. And he was like, I helped you play this whole way. I heard him so clearly. Wow. And I was like, all of the moments that I did feel free and excited and happy in a lab, changing careers and now finding that I can create another fun space. Like you were there the whole time. And so it was really just a full circle moment knowing that I learned from this amazing mentor and how to play and now I'm enacting that and I wasn't alone. So that was that was a really yeah. good moment. Yeah. That is heartwarming, child. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Now you not only changed the way that you teach science, you really disrupted the way that we evaluate learning. So your curriculum, the way that you do evaluation is through a do-it-yourself, right? Video. Yes. Right on yeah. how to kind of create this product, either it be uh, oil, a scrub. Am I am I on the money? Yes, yes, okay. you right there. You want <laughs> <Okay>. it? <laughs> and I thought that was so fabulous. Um, it brought me back to my public health days. I was working at a public health organization, and we were doing a teen pregnancy intervention for um, LGBT Black youth. 
It may sound like a little strange, but it applies. No, no, I'm with Trust you. me. I'm following. It applies, right? <laughs> and we actually use, um, not a do-it-yourself video, but we used Photo Voice okay. as a way to kind of evaluate their learning. So mm-hmm. they go out and do kind of a creative project using picture and video to kind of highlight um, the issue that's happening in their community. And right. so I loved your curriculum because it highlights, it, hmm, it does two things, I think, for me. The first thing it does is give these girls a skill. So in this age of creating content, in this age of TikTok and YouTube and this, that, and the other, you are really giving them a skill that they can take away, even if they don't want to like continue making scrubs and lotions and oils. And then another thing that you're doing is diversifying just like the way that we go about measuring knowledge retention. Mm -hmm. I think so often these white men (laughs) <laughs> or white supremacy, because, you know, white women, too. The Karens white are out men. there. All right. Capital W. <laughs> right? They like standardized tests to be the marker of knowledge. Or if you can't make an 80 on this, you clearly didn't learn anything. But that's yep. not how everybody learns. Correct. Right? Yep, and that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you come up with, a tool, with this tool? Yeah, so as I was preparing research around decolonization and desettling hierarchies within science, I realized that you can make, and this is a help of my um, all-Black committee, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can make the best curriculum all day. You can make the funnest curriculum all day, but if you have no way of learning how people learn or assessing knowledge, What's like you you won't get anywhere with it. You won't get implemented anywhere because you can't see if anyone gained knowledge, if their mm. identity shifted. So it's like, how will you measure this? Because if I say you learn a science practice of the, the DIY was for engaging in argumentation, long words for no reason. If I say that you learn how to do that in my class, how can I now see if you know how to create an argument, a scientific mm. argument? And so what I found issues with is that all of the scientific argumentation literature and assessment around argumentation was about writing a paper, Mm -hmm. writing an essay. Um, So you do research and now you write it down. But if the practice itself is called engaging in scientific argumentation, how do you see me engaging if I have to write it on paper? Mm. So I was like, there's got to be a better way and a way to sustain hair culture, a way to be very true to this space of black women working together to talk about their hair and learn about their hair. And I'm like, you can do that in a YouTube video. So I also am a part of this hair culture where I know I call them the YouTube girls. They um, talk about their ingredients. And I'm like, so you have a reason, a justification for why you use the ingredients you use. Mm -hmm. That's a scientific argument. And I went into this curriculum knowing that these girls are capable of way more than what their classroom is saying that they're capable of. And there's got to be a better way to show that they are engaging in this argumentation. And the way that I can see that in real time is through a video. Mm. And so I put them in a room with all of the materials that they had used through the whole curriculum. I left the room and they all had to choose what product, what product they wanted to make. And the instructions were to identify each ingredient and what it's used for and name your product and talk about what it's used for. 
that was it. They went in mm-hmm. there two at a time. They had their groups already. And they, um, one of them was like, you're not coming in there with us? Are you sure? No, I'm not. You got it. And I told them, like, don't actually mix everything, but kind of do a before and after shot um, so we can have enough time that everyone can use the same space and we don't waste anything on the computer. Those were the only rules. Mm-hmm. I left them and I said, you have seven to ten minutes. Have fun. And then you end up, I end up with this like artifact. I have five videos of these 10 middle school black girls talking about why shea butter is useful in their lotion. Mm. What essential oils are used for? Why do we use almond oil? Why do we use castor oil? Like they, they created these scientific arguments without me pressuring them to create them because I knew they could. Yeah. I just let them do it. And so it was on me now as the teacher to go through and assess it. And so that's what I want to do as, as my career path is to enable the teachers to see when there's knowledge, there's a better way to, see, to evaluate it mm. um, other than this piece of paper. Because this piece of paper is stressful. Um, I, if I don't read well, I'm going to fail. Yeah. If I um, have an attention disorder and I didn't pay attention to all of these words that you were saying, I might fail this test. If it, um, if I haven't had a good breakfast and I can't focus because my stomach yes. hurts, yes, like I'm going to fail. It's so many ways that it's deficit based, mm-hmm. and I was like, there is a way to support what these students are doing, how they're engaging one another, and just hear the conversation. And so that's why I created the um, DIY video as an assessment tool instead of a final test. Like there is no, there is no final test in here, no. That's so dope because you're improving the way that we evaluate, but then also you really are affirming these girls. I'm sure they walked away just believing a little bit more in what they can do. I cried. So <laughs> after every class, I cried. Yes. And mm. I, um, when I would walk them out, um, one of the parents picked up a group of the girls. I walked them out to the car and I'm just in the hallway, literally with the camera still rolling, my regular data collection camera. Mm. And I said, did you enjoy today? And they were beaming. And it was some days that I'm like, I don't know if they got it. I don't know if I taught it well. I don't know. But every class, they were like, I loved it. And this is what we learned. And we're walking down the hallway and they rattling off things about hair patterns. They're talking about why different oils are important. I was like, oh, my little scientist. (laughs) Um, Just because I gave them a different way to express it. Just have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes I don't know how to put the right things on the page, but I know them talk to me. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's what I wanted to really highlight the ways that assessment um, came to fruition. This conversation. You are doing it. And I also love how you highlighted that this process that you were going through of, did I teach this right? Did I do this okay? But yet you see, you see the material. Okay. Listen, look at the material. Look at the material. <laughs> yes. I mean, I those little black girls, I knew they were brilliant. I knew they mm. were amazing. I loved them before they walked in that room. Uh. And to have this, imagination of what it could be but then have it go so much further than what I imagined it like to I imagined 10 black girls around the table creating their own products but I didn't know what their laughs would be like Mm -hmm. I didn't know what their interactions would be like I didn't know I would hear rattling of beads on their hair like it's Mm -hmm. so many other pieces that fill that space that made it beautiful that that magic was able to happen like I just made the table pretty much like they made it happen. So 
I cry. I cry every time. I'm not going to right now. But you can. Okay. Those little black girls did something for me and I yeah. am changed in a much better way because of them. Yeah. Absolutely. I just love your intention behind this work. You recently did an interview with uh, This Woman's Words. Um, mm-hmm. It's a blog by Sh- excuse me. Sheree. Sheree? Sheree? Wait, Sheree? hold on. She told me how to say it. So Sheree? this is also my internet friend. It's Maria. So Sharia, there you go. She says, just like Maria. (laughs) Okay, so Sharia Denise. Yes. Yes, and you had said, if every student mattered in the educational decision-making process, we wouldn't have less systems in place that traumatize and criticize Black students, especially Black girls. And that blew my mind because (laughs) when you look at a lot of the literature, and I could just be blind to a whole bunch of literature that's out there, but I think when you look at the literature that's highlighted um, and things kind of like the new Jim Crow um, and works that kind of talk about the school-to-prison pipeline and things like that, it really focuses on Black men. And I haven't been exposed to information about Black women. That could be a total consequence of patriarchy. But I'm wondering if you could speak more to what you know about the criminalization of Black girls in schools. So I got my book. So (laughs) there's a book called Push Out by Monique Morris. And she also has a documentary. Um, She did a wonderful presentation here at Drexel about the adultification of Black girls, the Mm -hmm. hypersexualization of their bodies. And now this penalization of expression. Um, And I did not realize the numbers, like just the way that Black girls are disciplined in school Mm. that is drastically different from other groups. So Black boys, white girls and boys, Latina, um, Latinx students, like it is mind-boggling the ways in which Black girls are punished for sighing heavily, for smacking their lips, Mm. for looking away, for not not being non-responsive. Um, and this discipline creates a chain of trauma mm. because a lot of times the school resource officer, which is a police officer, escorts these students out. Now you are calling a parent or guardian who you may not may or may not be interrupting their workday, mm. who may or may not be at a space to come and address this. You are sitting them and removing them from their classroom, all because we keep telling them no. We keep telling black girls no. What would happen if we said yes? Mm. Who said we had to keep saying no? Who said that you can't smack your lips? You can't roll your eyes? Who said we can't? Mm. Because sometimes my process requires a, a girl, uh, like I might throw my head to the side and be like, I don't know. Like my process of figuring it out might be expressive. I use my hands a lot. I'm very conscious of the way that I as a a 5'11", 200 and something pound black woman uses my hands. But if I were a 16 year old, I was 5'11 at 16 too. And using my hands, how could that affect the ways that my white teacher sees this black woman, this Mm -hmm. black girl? Um, and how that I can now be a threat to them, the teacher, to the, the principal. And now I'm at their mercy because um, my citizenship grades even are so subjective and based on a scale of whiteness that one, one too many huffs might get me out of, put out of class. One too many, I don't know, don't get me put out. One mm-hmm. too, that's, that's lack of attention and lack of effort. Is it though? Like, 
who said? So now the teacher is ill prepared to address their own biases. And all they know is that if this one student stands up, they're bigger than me. I must now continue to suppress them, continue to train them, continue to make them assimilate so I can be comfortable. All you have to do is love me better. See me. You don't have to necessarily, like, why are you scared? It's all of this afraid and this fear around blackness. Let me be. I appreciate you for highlighting that because it's so, what's triggering me and kind of like, turning on my wild alarms is the fact that we criminalize black girls for these things, the huff, the Mm -hmm. the eye roll, the I don't know. But then Mm -hmm. at the same time, you move out of the classroom and that's what you're getting entertainment from on TikTok. Oh yeah. And that's what you're trying to recreate and mimic. Yep. That's what's selling on Bravo is Mm. bad, quote unquote, (gasps) this attitude. But I can't be who I am in this classroom because you are actually afraid of it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I appreciate you for that. (laughs) So, yeah, I think it's a whole lot of cultural awareness of teachers, knowing that a majority of the teaching force is white women. Yeah. Yeah. So now what I'm not going to do is tell my student not to be themselves. I'm going to tell you how to expand in the ways that you engage these students. You're the adult. And that's the decolonization process. (laughs) And that is why you also emphasize in that interview that decolonization isn't just a metaphor. It's an an intentional practice. And so I feel like, though, when looking at your work, you're not only decolonizing education in the classroom, you're not only teaching teachers how to address their biases, but just Mm -hmm. who you are and the work that you decided to delve into, the work that you decided to disseminate to these Black girls by doing your dissertation really reshapes this idea of what a professional is Mm -hmm. and what type of focuses a professional can have. Mm -hmm. So you're also decolonizing not just education, but you're decolonizing kind of like the image of what it means to be a doctoral level professional. Listen, so I had to decolonize myself. That's the note that nobody gave me that I had to take down the settled hierarchies of this white man as a scientist, or Mm. I'm trying to attain this level closest to the white gaze as I could possibly get it. Like I must please the white people or I could just love myself. Well, Mm -hmm. be present. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not, that's not, that is not what promoted and applauded because what, who I am and all of who I am does not fit well at all with what a white man has said is acceptable. Right. And when you try to go, go after those kind of like rigid boxes of what's acceptable, you wind up losing so many parts of yourself. So you're studying black hair. That's the way that you're decolonizing things. Me, I'm studying anal pleasure for black bottoms. Right. If I go down, if I go down to the schoolhouse and say, did y'all read my article about bottoming? These people would have a fit. (laughs) First of all, you say in the words that need to be said, you're not hiding some words. You're not. Mm -hmm. I had a question once one of my um, people in the program, one of the other PhD students, she said, why are you using such a negative word? What is another word for decolonization? I said, transform. I was like, that could work, but I purposely want you to realize this is colonized Mm -hmm. and I'm doing the opposite of that. 
Like it's not, oh, we want to um, innovate and transform Mm -mm. and create. No, no, no. I'm decolonizing because this is a problem. And now let me undo it. Like it's on purpose that I'm not using other words that are very um, cute. Big but they don't have academic hit. words, but that's mm. not the word I need. Yeah, the word I need is decolonize. And you're resisting these yeah. little structures that make y'all comfortable. I don't need to now placate because you don't like the word. Mm. You can use what words you need to use. I'm saying decolonize. Heard you. Heard yeah. you. It was a rough conversation because she was like two computers down from me. Like she was right there all the time. <laughs> yes. Sorry, girl. <laughs> well, listen, I support you in this decolonization, okay? Uh, it's so good. <laughs> Let's switch gears a little bit to talk about the doctoral pursuit. And the way we're going to do this is in a bit of a fun way. So um, a little birdie told me that you are a UGK fan. Big, big UGK fan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so I wanted to kind of bring that rap essence into the podcasting space and allow you to give a couple hot takes on different topics. So okay. we're just going to play a game um, called Dr. Likely's truths or Dr. Likely's hot takes. And okay. These are going to specifically relate to your doctoral pursuit mm-hmm. because I think as a Black person in at the doctoral level, I really want to use this platform to create a space to be absolutely real, okay, about what that experience is like. So this can be one line, this can be a sentence, this can just be a reaction, a one word. You choose. It's up to you. Okay. So I'm just going to spit out <laughs> these prompts. Being Black in STEM. I'm bre- I'm deep I'm breathing deeply because <laughs> my hands got hot immediately. <laughs> um, being black in STEM means to be critical of STEM and still love it. I think love requires accountability. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Here for it. Okay. The process of getting a doctorate degree and how black representation can impact that process. So my advisor is my fairy godmother, this black Kappa man from Baltimore. Hey, black Kappa man. <laughs> had he not seen me, had he not uh, affirmed and empowered me, I don't think that I would have been able to pass that and share that as well as, or intentionally as I did. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think that representation matters at every level. And if you don't see it, you make it. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I'm failing. There's no fails. Oh, we're going to talk about that negative voice. Okay. (laughs) I'm just like, I feel like I had some more there. I don't know. Mm -mm, That was good. That was good. (laughs) Last one. Things a Black person can do, not necessarily should do, once they've acquired a doctorate. What a Black person can do, not should do. I think they can tell the truth tell the truth about their experiences, tell the truth about their own research, tell the truth of who they are now. Mm. Cause I'm a whole different person than I was four years ago. Um, I didn't know how to dream and expand and I thought it was scary to dream and expand. And now I'm like, I want nothing else, nothing more, but to dream and expand. So that's very true. And it's so scary, but I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Can I add on to that? Even yes. you didn't ask me to add on or Yeah, back. come on. <laughs> they can rest. Oh. Okay. <laughs> they can rest. Come on. For a day, for a week, maybe for a couple months. Get your come rest on. because you deserve it. 
Cool. You deserve it, Dr. Likely. Have you been resting? <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm trying. <laughs> it just finished. All of this it happened two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And three days after my um, defense, I got up at 630. I made my tea and I was like, I got to practice my presentation. Okay. My presentation done. <laughs> like, nobody told me. So I'm trying to now undo the trauma mm. that is graduate school. And I've learned how to exist, but I don't know how to live. And I'm going to live. I'm so excited to just go for a walk outside or take a nap when I get ready. And I don't have to show up to all these damn meetings because <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's time to rest. Yeah. So I'm going to just let you know that this, again, was another moment where I just wanted to take my Maddie Moss shoe and throw it right in the screen. I'm doing the <laughs> trauma of grad school. Listen. Ma'am. <laughs> How do you intentionally even go about that? Because, you know, a couple of things, I told you we're going to address that negative voice, right? (laughs) So a couple of things that we get conditioned to internalize during grad school, I don't know about you, but it's that negative voice. It's that imposter syndrome, right? It's not just working your tail off and not giving yourself rest. That's not the only trauma, Mm -hmm. but it's like literally these other things like, am I really doing a good job? Do I really Mm -hmm. deserve to be in this space? How are you intentionally going after reducing those traumas, addressing those traumas, healing those traumas? Um, Therapy has helped me with this to know which voice is mine and which voice has been a traumatic experience from my childhood, a previous advisor, a previous class. Um, When to, to know that I can now rewrite that script of, like, even when you were asking me the question, I was like, oh, I think I failed. Did I fail? Mm-mm. Who am I comparing you myself to? I've never done a rapid fire question and answer <laughs> as a doctor before. <laughs> Saying I'm a doctor out loud every time I'm wondering if I am or did I really finish or are they going to come back? I still have the thought that they're going to come back and say, we didn't mean to let you into the program. Wow. We didn't mean to give you this degree. Oops, it's all a fluke. Take it all back. Like, Help me. No, I have earned this. This is mine. Um, I had a conversation with a friend who was talking about uh, law certification. And she said, I wonder if they need to renew their certification for this state. And I said, you know what? I don't ever have to renew this degree. This damn doctorate is mine. Like just remembering that it's mine. I've done it. I earned it. It, Nobody else wrote and page of that dissertation. (laughs) Um, And it, you can't take it. You can't take it now that it's, it's mine and it earns the signatures are what it need to be. Um, so yeah, just now getting the opportunity to rewrite that voice of you're not supposed to be here. You're inadequate. You don't know. You're not supposed to know. One of my friends, she has three children under five. <laughs> she is teaching them at home so many life lessons and one, I was, I was just on the phone with her one day and she told her two-year-old, she said, that's okay if you didn't get it. You're still learning. Mm-hmm. That thing hit me out the blue. I was like, oh, Lies. It applies. <laughs> it's, it's okay if I didn't get it. I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, it's totally, I am mm-hmm. still learning. And I had said that to so many different people at so many different times, but never to myself. Yes. So now it is literally vocalizing the truth. Yeah. And it's imperative that we as black 
people, Black professionals, Black learners mm-hmm. understand that we don't have to know? Because can I also give you a little tidbit? Yes, help me. We don't highlight it, but them white folks don't know either. They don't ever know. If you listen close enough, know. let me tell you, a couple you of buzzwords don't mean you know. never did politics. Goodbye. I'm about to shut off this whole Zoom. You're, I heard ain't, you. Ain't never. Heard you. It has no problem showing up like I can do it. You mm-hmm. don't even know what you're doing. You don't know. You don't know. And I'm over here with the whole degree wondering if they're going to take it back. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Stress. laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> yes, let me encourage you. You don't have to know. You are always going to learn. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's transition into your business and it's going to be brief, right? I just okay. love your story though, um, of how you moved here. You mentioned, you know, the winter really did you dirty, mm-hmm. cracked your skin, cracked your lips, cracked your hair. And that's what, <laughs> <laughs> that's what got you into the, the butter making business. Mm-hmm. Butter, she okay. <laughs> Fucking up your it. whole apartment. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Yes. But one thing I took away from that was when you were talking about your process to creating your different scrubs and creating your different lotions, I love how you focus on the fact that you love abundance and you love diversity. Um, And that's what kind of pushed you to just try different things. Also, you took the pressure off your back and you're like, listen, I'm doing this for me. So (laughs) it kind of just is what it is. If it works, great. If not, like, who cares? Right. (laughs) But again, I'm drawn to this theme of abundance. Because I think it's something that goes beyond uh, scents and lotions. I think it really goes into the way that you intentionally approach life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, what does abundant living mean to you? Whew. Okay. So again, I'm very turkey. Um, yep. Amen. Ready. <laughs> and there's a verse in John, I want to say it's 14, where it's Jesus talking about, um, I go to prepare a place for you. And that care, and I, I always say, like, to know that we have such a careful, F-U-L-L, careful God, mm. like, I go to make ready this space. And I'm just like, what would my made ready space look like? And it would look a lot like my apartment because I like very uh, plush things and comfort. So mm. abundance to me is always a, a, a nook, a cranny, a corner of comfort, a plush space. Um, abundance to me looks like having enough to share, having enough of leftovers, um, always open and welcoming because you're prepared. Like I have this prepared space um, for love, for nurture, for um, rest, for peace, for yes. healing. Um, that's abundance. When you can go to one spot and have many different things and have multiple needs met at once, mm. that's what abundance looks like to me. Yeah. I like, I mean, I also believe I'm polyamorous for that same reason. Yes, <laughs> like, yes. Abundant dick. Or whatever you want. Okay? The gamut. Okay? Amen. Amen. <laughs> I wasn't ready. <laughs> <laughs> But like just ab- abundant love and that it doesn't have to look this one way. It can look however we need it to. Mm. Um, I say all of my friends are my partners all the time. They know they are. Two of, them, two of my best friends are married. Their husbands are like, oh, you're on the phone with Sheeta again, huh? You talking to Sheeta again? Yes. And I love you too. Thank you so much. Having little That's looks abundant. where you can get really what you need. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and, get, get, and get it in a different manner. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Get like... 
So it's like a whole lot of stuff. It's like, I didn't even know I needed that. Mm. Wow. Like I came here for one thing. I showed up to this restaurant to eat pasta and y'all had the best wine I ever had. Like that, that's abundance to me being surprised <laughs> at some goodness. I <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's necessarily out of control or like hedonistic. I think it can be. It can be. <laughs> yeah. If you it, want it, it can if that's be what you very, want. like self-pleasuring and it can be met, being met well, being mm. filled in pockets that you hadn't even attended to. You didn't even realize they were being emptied or being depleted. And mm. now you're full. You're full all over. You're like, yes, this is good. That's a fun I'm going to need to have you back on here so we can decolonize hedonism because ain't nothing wrong, but ain't nothing wrong. Ain't nothing wrong. I just, I can go real far real fast and I have to reel me back. (laughs) I know me. (laughs) You know, we love awareness over here. We love it. My hedonism ain't always good. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I love it. I love it. So we talked about life. Okay. Now we're going to talk about love and relationship, right? The brand of the podcast is how we go. Now, I can talk about men, dick, sex all day long, right? But because I have you on here, and we could do that on another show or another episode, but because I have you on here, I really want to talk about racial identity because the work that you do and the life that you live really shows me that you have a high racial identity. And I'm always curious about how people develop that, you know, their different journeys that kind of led to this moment in time. Um, And so let me just kick off with that question. How did you come to develop your Black identity and just your love for Blackness? I was tired of not knowing who I was. And Mm -hmm. also I wasn't seeing me represented anywhere. And so I'm not changing. Like I got a size 12 foot and I'm 5'11". Some things just ain't changing. So either I love it or I continue to find ways to hide it or um, disrespect it, diminish it. And it's like, let me find a way to love me. And again, by loving me, because I'm not seen elsewhere, I, I found I'm one of the marginalized per se. If I can love me well then, and accept my hair at different lengths and it looks very strange and that's not ugly. And if I can say that about me or if I can see that about myself, I can see that in other people. Mm. So it's like expanding what beauty looks like to me, expanding what acceptance looks like to me, expanding what care looks like. Mm. Um, and once I started expanding it for myself, I can apply it elsewhere. Yeah. So it was me developing a relationship and love with myself. Um, and once I had already begun again, saying it out loud that I love your feet. Your feet are nice. Your feet look good in those shoes. We're going to find some other shoes your feet look good in. I know how to now say it to a 13, 14-year-old black girl with big feet. I love your feet. Like, I know the script now enough. Like, because it's true to me. So Mm -hmm. I think I had to practice and love me first in order to now expand and love others and love others well. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, I had to figure out how to, like, understand my blackness. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in a, like when I guess I'm still in one <laughs> a Caribbean household, right? Shout out to all the Jamaicans. Love you long. <laughs> Love you long time. <laughs> yes. But th- it's so interesting when you are a first generation individual with parents who come from a different country and mm-hmm. you're black. Um, because early on you notice a tension between kind of like your culture mm-hmm. and black Americanness. Mm-hmm. And so you grow up understanding that, okay, I'm not white, 
white people, you know, have some issues that they need to work out and they've been oppressive for a long time. But then there's also like a lack of community sometimes that you are nurtured in when it comes to your Caribbean side or your, you know, if you come from the continent, your African side and your American side. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think for me, kind of like coming to develop my Black identity, I think it happened the most salient moment was when I was in St. Louis and I was there around the time of Mike Brown passing. Right. Mm -hmm. And something kind of just clicked where it was just like, no, like, uh, yes, I am Jamaican American. Right. But at my core, I'm black. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 There's no us and them. There's no, Mm -hmm. you know, Oh, you're this type of black. You're that type of black. You're that type of black child. We all black. And we see it playing out even more and more in this current climate. Mm. But I would say that there's still people who kind of hold those tensions of what it means to be kind of like Black from a different area of um, the world. And then when you start to intersect things like queer identity, um, able identity, uh, SES, education identity, Mm -hmm. there still becomes those greater tensions and those greater divides in your perspective, I'm not trying to position you as like an expert. What are some things people can do to intentionally work to kind of like undo those tensions? I mean, my deep breath. Okay. Um, no, that's fine. Love it. For, for me, the ways that I've been undoing those tensions is saying it out loud and being quote unquote combative when it happens in family environments and familiar environments where I'm already in here. I don't have to work for my place and space, but there is this othering oppression, um, harm being put somewhere else and I can stop it. Mm. Um, so that has been a way that I have been expanding and loving blackness in its varieties. Well, I don't Mm. sit back and let, um, Oh, she nappy headed. Why don't they comb that baby hair? That baby hair is gorgeous the way it is. Mm, mm. Every kink and coil needs to be on display. Like, um, comb your BBs. Why? That's a curl. Leave that curl alone. Mm. It's perfect as it is. Um, yeah, that's like the ways that I've again learned to embrace all of me. I'm learning to now outwardly and loudly embrace and push on respectability because those that's Very where true. my parents grew up. That's mm-hmm. their era. I'm like, that still didn't get you nowhere, girl. Good wow. luck. Love you. Mm-hmm. Um, and now what does it look like to be big and loved and seen? Yeah. yeah, that's how I'm pushing on those tensions of respectability ain't getting us nowhere. Ain't got nowhere. us nowhere. Nowhere. It, it made room for you to make it, but... I'm trying to now address the reasons why you had to be respectable. Like that's not enough for me. Respectability doesn't make the degree more valid. It doesn't pay these loans. It doesn't put a roof over my head at all. And it doesn't keep me alive. (laughs) Nobody checking for my degree. Mm -hmm. If it's between me and a white person, Mm -hmm. they going to still see my big black ass as a threat. They going to still see a problem. Call the police on me. And who else knows what happens after that? Right. And nobody checks for a degree. Ain't nobody checks for how much money I make. If I come from a two-parent household, what mm-hmm. my religion is, they see blackness. Yeah. And I am going to see also that blackness and love it and choose to embrace it. And even those who don't necessarily look like me, I think you're gorgeous and beautiful and amazing. And if we want to talk about shea butter, let's all put it on together and glisten. Like, yes. I support it. 
Yes. So because of that, two rapid fires, (laughs) my blackness is, or blackness is, not mine. Or it could be yours, whatever. (laughs) Ooh. So on my vision board, I have black women and love. And Mm -hmm. I have all of the things that are both love and black women. One is thick, rich, and delicious. Mm -hmm. And it came from a pizza ad. But I think that my blackness is thick, rich, and delicious. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Mine was just for this current moment. My blackness is resisting, resistant, resistance, all of yes. it. Yeah. Yes. And <laughs> even when you say that, that resistance, it comes from a love that's thick. Tony Morrison said, I don't mm. want thin love. Because if it, what you say, if love ain't thick, it ain't love at all. Like, mm. I need it big. I need it encompassing. I need it full. Yes. Um, and once you get into that place, it feels like richness. It feels like a deep chocolate chocolate cake. Like it feels, again, warm and delicious. Like you could taste it. It's, it's yes. oh, I, I can feel resistance because I know it's love there. I know mm-hmm. it's, it's bigness there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think they are definitely complimentary. Yes. Amen. And second one, happiness is. Ooh. Happiness for me, is a cold glass of iced tea because it nothing's happier than being outside in Florida barefoot with my mm. cold glass of usually iced tea and just feeling the moment, being grounded, being centered. Happiness is a cold glass of iced tea. Like I'm here for being it. Being present, yeah. Totally here for it. Now, <laughs> I appreciate you. Came out. <laughs> no, I love it. You, listen, a country podcast today, okay? Yes. <laughs> I appreciate you so much, Rashida, Dr. Likely, for coming on and sharing your experience. This last segment of the podcast, we call it Spin the Rosé Bottle. So okay. I done talked your ear off and asked you all these questions, probably stressed you full on out. Oh. Now you get to ask me one question. It can be dry. It can be juicy. It can be whatever you want. And okay. I have to answer. Oh, it's not going to... I mean, I have a question in mind, but do I want to go juicy? Do I want to go dark? I don't know. What your spirit <laughs> say? What your oh, spirit I'm going to keep it here. My spirit is with this rose quartz. We happy. Um, my question is, what made you happy today? Ooh. <laughs> this is a question. And I'm taking that pause because mm-hmm. this is not a happy time. Yes. Just like with all this going on. But you know what made me, you know what made me happy today? What? I went down in the kitchen, you know, Mm -hmm. full disclosure, I'm transitioning to Atlanta. I live with my parents right now. My daddy brought me a cheesecake for lunch and was just like, here, it's yours. Oh. And that made me really happy because I'm a fat boy. I'm a fat boy. That made me happy. Fun fact, cheesecake is my favorite dessert, so... Listen, I see you. You see me. Yes. We see each other. Yes. Okay. I love oh, that I'm question. I'm so glad. I'm so yes. glad you were happy with your cheesecake. That makes mm. me happy. Mm. Now I want cheesecake. So good. <laughs> now, again, I thank you so very much. Is there anything you want to plug so that the people can find you, see you, get some of your research? Ooh. So, I mean, I'm seen and available on the internet. Mm. <laughs> on Twitter, Instagram as Sheeta Vita. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to spell it? S H E D as in dog A, B B as in bright, E D as in dog A. Mm-hmm. Um, Sheeta Vita. 
on the Twitters and the Instagram. But I just want to plug blackness, black women. Yes. That's all I have going on. Everything I do is for black women, and that's inclusive. Uh, okay. Other mm-hmm. fat women, queer mm-hmm. women, trans women, able bodied, other able bodies, all us, poor, um, non English speaking. Uh, no secondary post-secondary degree yeah, all of you better yes um, that that's who i'm i do it for so all my research coming out i'm looking to publish a majority of my dissertation praise the lord um Amen. soon so stay tuned google scholar i'll be there i'll be there with all of the things about lotions and potions science through hair care so yeah. Surely will. Y'all, that was another episode. Thank you again, Dr. Likely, for coming on. This has been another episode of the Roseanne Thorns podcast. I am P. Ryan. See you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Roseanne Thorns, a P. Ryan podcast. You can find Roseanne Thorns on Instagram and Twitter at Rosen T. Pod. That's R O S E N T P O D. And you can find P. Ryan on Instagram and Twitter at I am P. Ryan. That's I-A-M-P-R-Y-A-N. See you next time.